Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today we're talking with Paul Sweeney, the EVP product of Web Housing, Paul. Yeah, that's me. Good, tell us a bit about your background. Um, so I guess uh, between one thing or another, I've been working in uh, software, internet, telecom space for nearly 20 years now um, between telco service, communication services and software um, both sides of the fence sometimes working investments sometimes on advisory and uh, a couple of times now on startup so uh, I would consider myself pretty much a startup guy at this stage um, still learning all my own lessons over and over again um, and uh, hopefully working and helping some other companies succeed as well by being a strategic advisor to them. So I, I get to, to work with a lot of different companies, see what they're doing, hopefully bring some of what I've learned to them and what I've learned from them back to myself. I guess basically when you said you're a sort of guy, I mean, you're always, you're always willing to learn anything because I know that for a fact that every day I'm absolutely, I don't think I've finished learning. <laughs> it's a good attitude. Um, I, uh, I used to be in the uh, academic background so research and learning is kind of in my DNA. Um, it can be actually a bit annoying because I, I kind of look for the root cause of everything and the proof and empirical research and it's usually pretty poor out there when you start digging into what people think is true and you start looking at the research. It's, a lot of stuff is fairly uh, uh, not, not very proven, so it can be a bit annoying. Yeah, Donald Trump says it's all fake news. Yeah, it's, it's, but you know, even things like when I was doing my own masters, it was in um, Toyota manufacturing systems and lean manufacturing. So that was all about the lean systems back in the 80s and 90s in the car industry. And so you're seeing this now in the software industry where you've got lean manufacturing and that becomes lean startup. Canvas stuff. And, yeah, right. So work in progress, no holding stock, building to demand. Um, they're all pull systems in Toyota. And so you're seeing that kind of ethos brought into the software industry. And it's like it was invented here. It wasn't. You know, it's been around for a long time. So, um, it, but it is, it is still uh, interesting to see how various companies um, use lean manufacturing or lean production or, or lean startup to various extents. So some people are quite fanatical about it. Yeah. Some people ignore it altogether. Uh, it's probably some balance in the middle. Um, about what's the healthy, the healthy way to implement that? I guess basically, it, it basically a lot of health stuff will be like going, going open source in a way because that way, if something else breaks down, you need to find help in it on these different forums where you can put something else to fill the plug. Well, that's a, That's another interesting question where, um, you know, you're going from in in a in a in a lean manufacturing, you're going from the idea of a lean chain. To a lean web, yeah. So you know, instead of having one supplier, two suppliers, you might have a pool of suppliers uh, that you can pull from if different things happen. Um, and thinking in terms of competing competitive webs yeah. is probably something that we could do in a little bit more of a structured way. Um, in in our world of uh, of conversational technologies, we've seen just this explosion of like really deep softwares and, and data sets that become open sourced really yeah. early in the evolution of the business. And around 2016, 17, uh, a whole bunch of tools just became available. And, and these are like really big, like billion dollar tools. And, and so like, I, I just remember f like this is, it, it, it's like the idea that uh, uh, I'm kind of thinking of it in these terms, like we see all these Alexas everywhere yeah. and in every house and penetration rates are huge. Um, and thinking of it almost like it's either going to be like the railroad or it's going to be like British water filters. Yeah. It's like going to be, oh, we had it, but we didn't really do that much. Or it's going to be actually kind of changed everything because once the railroad came, then all these other things happened. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it's useful to think about it as kind of conversational infrastructure. And, and what we're moving towards now is, well, okay, the infrastructure is pretty good what next like what actually what happens what changes now that we have the railroad in town kind of 
We went to earlier Kenban, and I was back in college years ago doing a business uh, administration course. I remember a lecturer was telling me, he said that uh, what Kenban was, and also that in, in, in France, Citroën and Peugeot, they had the same thing, but they had two suppliers. Mm. So if one supplier broke down, you know, so nowadays when you, when you use Noble Source, you know that if one, if one supplier of software doesn't do it, you can get another one that does the same job pretty easily and quickly as well. Well, so, so this is one of the, the, the so everything changes so quickly. Um, one of our theories at Webio is that you need conversation middleware yeah. to kind of abstract you away from those changes. So you might have one software doing um, text recognition or voice recognition or something like that, and maybe another one comes along that's better and gives you 5% more. Um, you've got to be able to kind of roll one back and roll the next one in without disrupting everything. Yeah. And, and so we think that there's a kind of a position out there for helping enterprises um, deliver these conversational interactions given that they're going to be connected to all these other softwares and systems and people how do you manage all that like how do you bring them in roll them off control them govern them keep them all secure um, that's that's what we're doing for them well I guess it was cloud based seizure because you doesn't know what, what OS you're using because it, it's on the cloud so if you've got an older machine It'll work fine. Any machine will work fine as well. Well, that's an interesting, um, uh, an interesting thing. Is is back in two thousand, myself and a colleague, we were. Uh, I was in a telco at that time, and I was in a conversation with a, a colleague of mine, and I got to see some early ASPs, application service providers, and their three tier architecture, yeah. and it was all kind of wow. This is really going to be interesting stuff. But we had been working in consulting companies as well for a while and vendors, and we said, you know, when you look at it, um, you know, companies spend a long time evaluating a software vendor. Then they, uh, they have to buy this complicated license. Then they have to get it all installed on their servers on-premise. Yeah. Then they have to get training. Then they have to get, like, retraining to, to figure out, like, how implementation is successful. So actually, the, the, the success of any particular software implementation was actually pretty poor. Like, they were pretty poor delivering results. So when we saw hosted services, it wasn't the fact that it was just a hosted service. There was all this other stuff going on around it, like the training and the, the, the length of time it took to bring in and all the other costs associated with, it, with implementing software. So we were pretty sure that the... Like the fundamental economics of on-demand cloud-based software would win. Yeah. Now, I think it was 2016, that 2017, where it was pretty much done that all contact center software now was pretty much in the cloud. I mean, it was like if you're going to upgrade your dialer or whatever, it was all cloud-based. And when we were starting to talk to customers around 2003 with that, that kind of vision, it was just, it's never going to happen. Like, that will never happen, ever. So I'm kind of used to hearing people saying something is never going to happen. And then, you know, 10 years later, well, maybe it looks like it's it's actually useful in some instances. And then 15 years later, it's just the thing. It's everywhere. And so I I think we're a little bit like that in the conversational technology space where people kind of go, it's interesting, it's maybe niche case but it's never going to happen yeah. and what's astonished me is the pace at which it has happened so if you look at the 2000 it was like okay it's all maybe a little bit before that it was like like internet browser um, web that was the revolution around 2000 it started to become a little bit about uh, hosted services then it became a little bit about Mobile, yeah. and now the next thing, like it, it isn't conversational. It's AI, right? So AI is the next platform, and it's the AI underneath conversational interaction that's going to be the thing that you go, oh right, okay, I get you now. I understand why yeah. this is so important. So we, I, I think there's a couple of moments where I was uh, kind of you know. 
you know those those startup pitches where someone stands up and says, you know, I was doing this and I saw this and I couldn't do this and therefore I started a company to solve that problem. Yeah. Right, that's the regular narrative. There isn't a moment like that with us. There's a a, a, a number of moments where you kind of go, oh, and, oh, and then you kind of it, it it clicks together. And and one of those for me was, I was getting a, a halo cab from. Uh, Blackrock into uh, town, which is into the station here in Dublin, and I used to get that a lot. I used to get that a lot, yeah. and it was very useful for me because I didn't have. There's no ATM around, so I could pay with yeah. the app. I knew exactly when the app, the, the the car was coming, so I could finish up a meeting and get down there to get the cab. Yeah. It was just so useful, and it, you know, I was always asking the drivers like, "What's it like from your side, and how does it work from your side?" I was just fascinated by it. But one day, I didn't get the app. I got I flagged a, a cab down. And I got a, a cab ride into Dublin where it was, the cab was filthy. The guy drove me all sorts of ways into town that he wasn't explaining why we were going there. Um, quite freely making racist, sexist comments all the way through. Uh, got to the end, making out the change was a nightmare. And then getting a receipt and all the rest of the nightmare. I got out of that cab at Houston Station and I went wow, that was just terrible. But what it absolutely crystallized for me was that all companies were going to have to create experiences like the Halo Cab experience. And if companies weren't able to do that, they were just not going to be at the races. And it just, it just, oh, like it's not technology, just technology. But it was my, the technology was like a container for an experience. You as the cab driver were really well behaved. I as the customer was really well behaved. We were rating each other. Uh, other services were being, like payment were being conducted outside of that immediate yeah. one-to-one relationship in the cab. And it was just a much better experience. And, and, and so the second thing that happened was I was uh, reading a, an article on uh, Chris Messina, the 2016 the year of conversational messaging, I think it was, or conversational commerce on Medium. And he was the head of UX at, at um, Uber at the time. And so the example they had was, um, hey, you and I are in a conversation over Facebook Messenger. Um, we say, hey, it would be great to meet up for a pint or something. The messenger says, well, you're in Black Rock and you're on the other side of town. For these two guys to meet up to have a pint, they have to get a cab. Yeah. So let's insert a message into the conversation. Do you want to get an Uber? And I went, ah, oh, so instead of having an app, I could call the service from yeah. within my conversation. And I went, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And that dovetailed with something I'd seen in the years previously, which was, all the voice communications, the standard telephony conversations, mm. were moving to SMS conversations because um, SMS conversations was just a great way to get things done. You know, SMS someone, I'll be there at three o'clock, right? Do that en masse for a hospital or do that en masse for a delivery service. Yeah. You know, your payment is due in two days. Do it en masse rather than phoning everybody up the whole time. And what we saw was the results of those SMS conversations were on par with the much more expensive voice conversations. So we kind of drew a line that actually messaging conversations are going to be really powerful and going to change a lot of customer service because we've seen it already. And it kind of gave us the idea that um, conversational messaging will be a thing. So we said, okay, let's, let's look at that. The, the thing that caught us by surprise a little bit was the rise of voice interaction services. Mm-hmm. So you, you'd be walking down the street and you, you probably saw somebody speaking into their phone where they hold it like a pizza and yeah. talk to it. And you just kind of go, God, that young people are weird. You know, why don't you just hold it to your head? Why don't you just hold that radiation to your head um, like a normal person? But what was actually happening was that they were voice interacting with their services. They were like calling up there saying, call my friend Mike, or, mm-hmm. or what's the weather going to be like today, or play Spotify, or whatever it was. And the, when you looked into it then around, I think it was 
2017, I think it was. Figures started to come out from Google that something like 25% of all mobile search over Android was voice-activated search. Yeah. And you go, oh. And then Gartner come out saying, look, you know, it's going to go to 50% by 2020 of all search on a mobile phone will be voice-activated search. And you go, jeez, okay, didn't kind of spot that. And then the Alexas started to take off. And you're saying, oh, well, this is an interesting little thing, but it's, yeah, it's pretty much for you know, timers and yeah. turning on the lights and stuff, and it's not going to be a big thing. But what happened is it, it just, it, it proved that people wanted to speak to devices. Yeah. Um, the devices weren't up to it at the time, at the early, er, early models and the early platform. They just weren't up to it. But what it did on a grand scale is proved that people wanted to converse yeah. and instruct um, conversationally, either by voice or by, by messaging. So we, with that, we kind of went, oh, all right, um, that's uh, like, it's going to be not just messaging, it'll also be voice. And then you look at it again and you say, well, what's happening with your messaging? And you go, well, messaging is also tying to your phone yeah. and you're taking pictures of things and, and attaching it to your messaging. And then you're looking at things like snap and camera first interactions. Yeah. And where you open your phone and you point it at something in the world and it's recognized. And not only is it recognized, but the state of it is has some sort of a status, like available, not available, for purchase, not for purchase, rentable, not rentable. Yeah. And that's just by pointing a camera at the world. So what's actually happening is AI is getting ears, eyes, and arms. Right? It's getting vision, it's getting sound, it's getting touch. From, from, from robots yeah. and in, in various environments that's showing up as uh, like you could be in a warehouse and you'd say where is item 497 and it goes oh it's in aisle 2 shelf 4 and you go oh great and off you go and you pick it up right? so you didn't have to go do a, a log on to your system yeah. do a, a typing search get a visual presentation back to you um, and the next layer on that is, of course, if if if, uh, it's, if it's complicated, like way to get there, just hold up your device, open your camera, and it'll go, or it'll automatically open your camera and go, it's this way, yeah. and there's an arrow pointing towards it or pointing to the exact like AR stuff, like AR, right? So when when we talk about conversational, um, it's easy to get waylaid into kind of our own little rabbit holes around yeah. like oh it's Alexa or it's uh, Google Home or it's whatever it, it isn't it's it, they're kind of endpoints, um, and but behind these device, devices are, are digital assistants so the real thing that's going on is we are engaging through digital assistants to services yeah. and the move to that digital assistant is, is being kind of kind of discreet like if you've if you've ever been in Google Gmail and you're looking at your smart pain response and it goes, hey, uh, hey, I'll be there in no time. Great, looking forward to seeing you. Yeah. And you just press send and they've auto-inserted that response for you. That's like an intelligent assistant in your email. Yeah. Um, you might go, it's just smart reply. Sure, but it's smart reply that everyone's used to using. I guess if it knows who you're talking to, he'll then know what else to give. Yeah. So if you've been talking to Fred, the same to your wife, your girlfriend, everything else, and it knows at the end to add the actors or add some, it knows what you're going to do. What you're going to do. Well, yeah, right. So ultimately, it becomes deeply personalised. Yeah. Now it raises a, a, a ton of issues, obviously la later, but you'll see in uh, the latest uh, Google Pixel Four ad, it's like a, a preview of the next. Pixel phone, and uh, it's unlocked. You hold it up; it's unlocked by your face, and then you just make gestures to move the phone, so you don't actually touch the screen yeah. at all. And you go, "Oh wow!" So you look at that, and you go with your earbuds, mm -hmm. and you go, "Okay, so I don't have to touch the phone anymore." Actually, I don't know if you've noticed, but something that's been really, I I've been paying attention to is how people feel about their phones, like. How do you feel about your smartphone? You kind of feel a little resentful of it. Like you don't love it. 
you kind of find it useful at times, but you're kind of annoyed that you're looking at it. Um, and it's not just me. I, I, it's a general kind of peak screen thing. It's like we, when we look at our phone for the time, we, we get distracted by a notification, and then we chase down a rabbit hole to see who liked my Instagram or you know, what yeah. messages are in my email, and I look up again, and 15 minutes have gone. Like, there are 15 minutes I wanted to do something in or read a book in or just be at peace somewhere. So I, I think that we're that the emotional relationship to our phone is going to change. Um, we don't want to look at it the whole time, but maybe we would appreciate the odd um, being able to instruct it yeah. and say, look, um, like, you know, play my music for 20 minutes and then turn off the phone. You know, that's a simple instruction. Mm. Um, but I, I think our relationship with the phone is changing now from just pure phone to... Um, the, the phone, the earbuds, the the screens around us, and the devices, the smart devices around us. I think it's becoming more a constellation of things, and maybe the phone isn't going to be the center of that relationship forever. I mean, they're trying to keep it the center of everything because it's hugely profitable for some of the device manufacturers, but there's no technical reason why your digital assistant, like it, if you've got a Samsung TV, you know there is a. Uh, Alexa or Google Home Assistant embedded in that um, and you know you're going to turn around and say well play Die Hard mm-hmm. and it, it'll, it'll figure out okay it's play Die Hard on that screen because we're in this room yeah. it's going to figure out well we've got an Amazon subscription so is, is it on Amazon yes it is play it from Amazon Amazon Prime um, or does he have any other services? Yeah. Yes, okay, so he's got Netflix. So when he asks for digital media, he usually wants Netflix. So try Netflix. And again, it's just like like most technologies that are consumer side, it's convenience. It's like, how convenient is this? And does it make our experience better? Um, and, and that's where the focus of all this stuff is. It's when you look at why are companies implementing AI mostly it's for better customer experience yeah we shouldn't maybe demon seed hmm we shouldn't maybe demon seed I didn't know it's a made from the 70s about a, about a guy a scientist who builds a computer and controls his house oh yes 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 yes, yes. I did see it and a spoof I've done in the Simpsons where they did the AI and it was basically it was it was Chris Brosnan voice of the computer and, and I he fell in love with Marge. I remember, yeah. And, and you kind of think, how long is it before you get that kind of scenario where you, got, where you have the computer controlling your life and you've got it in the sense that if it knows you like a certain voice, it's going to have that voice yeah. that counts. If you're basically somebody who likes a, 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 nice, a nice woman's voice that's calming, you're going you're gonna to listen to that more so and do it test because it's something you really enjoy. Well, so, so there's two or three kind of, kind of questions in that. So one is um, conversational tech has become the interface for all this home automation stuff. So your, your lighting, your automatic garage, your lock, your car, your all those actions at the home yeah. or those cluster of actions that you might want to happen in the morning or evening where you want like morning time, which yeah. is like turn on everything, pull the curtains over, turn off the lights, whatever those instructions are. So it's still conversationally um, driven but it's like an interface to that platform that's in your house and that is what it is, it's it's a home automation platform Um, the question of how personal and um, uh, how branded that particular voice interface is or that, that language that's used with you, that's an ongoing question so for some people saying uh, like that you should have a personality, it's like, nah, not really. I don't want to be with the personality around my house. I just want to tell the computer to do things. Yeah. So go do the thing. And I don't want you actually training kids to think that computers are people. They're not. Yeah. They're instruction sets. So don't be polite to your computer. It's a, like, don't be rude and play act like, like, like drama yeah. with your, your, your device. But it's still a computer. Don't personalize it. That's one stream of thought. The other is that, um, you know, there's a famous New York Times article, I think, where it says New York or, or Alexa made my child an asshole because they never had to say please and thank you to the yeah. device to get it. And now it 
the kid is doing the same thing in um, in shops and stuff like that, right? So um, I, I'm not sure that we're down on either side of whether it should have a personality or not, but it has to have some personality. Mm. And that that some personality could be the, the, the effective assistant. It could be the... Um, it could be me here. It, it, it could be the... Uh, the... Um, Effective assistant. It could be the, the the quiet person reminding you to do things. Um, it could be the standard branded Alexa or Google Voice, or it could be a personalized um, care of voice, mm-hmm. something that makes you feel something, that you're minded, that there's somebody with you. Um, but I think that designers, one of the things that we found over the last couple of years, and I'll, I'll drift in a little bit to talking about ConverCon, is. Um, we we found that people and projects succeed as much because of the design as the technology. Mm-hmm. And so when we were starting ConverCon a few years ago as Webio, we said, you know, when you look at Dublin, there's all the platform players. So you've got Google, Facebook, Oracle, Microsoft, all the big platform players. You've got vendors that sit on top and depend on those platforms. So companies like Intercom, Swerve, uh, Webio, we, we sit on top of those or use yeah. the services of those platforms. You've some pretty big and medium-sized design companies. So you've got um, Accenture Fjord and IBM with these huge design capabilities like Accenture at the dock. Yeah. You've got smaller local players like each and other. And you've got um, you know, and global players like Deloitte, right? All of these people, uh, design companies, design thinking. And then you got some pretty decent sized companies like Bank of Ireland, AIB, you know, some of the, the, uh, the Aer Lingus, Ryanair, all these companies. So actually Dublin was probably the one place in the world that you could get like 200 people in a room or 150, 200 people in a room and be able to talk to every part of the stack. Yeah. Um, you could have a designer talking to a programmer, a programmer talking to the head of something, customer service at... At, at Bank of Ireland or something and that's where Dublin is a small city and we've got this kind of startup culture and if you've got everyone in the room could we have like a great conversation and that's that was kind of the seed for the first ConverCon and it was a really tremendous success and we had it again the year after with Microsoft as the sponsor and, and they hosted us out in their new facility in Sandyford and we, we took the, the theme last year of AI and privacy uh, and ethics, data ethics and, and AI ethics as one of our core themes. And I think we're a little ahead of, we're ahead of everything that happened subsequently um, on that theme. But um, what we wanted to do was to bring everyone in the room and the designers maybe didn't always understand what was happening in development and AI yeah. like if you could say to the designer look all these possibilities out there like you know vision systems that can see and recognize objects like what would you do like, what would you do if you knew you could do that how would you redesign your service and then like developers really didn't understand how important design was so I've quite seen your people saying I actually did not know like that design the design of conversations it's different than just copy it's different than just graphic uh, copy for a, a print ad or something like that and different than just video so we I think we, we we did a service that year by bringing a lot of attention to the agencies in particular saying you know what we need different types of people yeah. um, um, and we also wanted to make sure that people in like digital transformation kind of roles understood that this this AI and conversational tech was actually going to change a lot of things in customer service and might change a lot of things in marketing um, and if they got in there now they could start like piloting and hiring and figuring things out and what we found was that I thought I was going to be like John the Baptist bringing the good news to, to all the uh, you know the, the, yeah. the people they already knew um, they were all on top of it they had their own innovation teams going they, they were all spinning up their own little teams um, 
what, what I think is, is sometimes surprising is uh, like, like everybody's getting information from so many sources and so many places and so many like YouTube and and, and oh, Silicon Valley's global, yeah. right? You can, you can plug in anywhere you want if you want. So like as a vendor, you're not really coming with like hugely new news to people a lot of the time. You're just coming in as part of this trend towards this thing. So with all the companies I contacted, they like like ninety percent of them had a team working on conversational tech. What they didn't have is an understanding of everybody else that was working in this area and what was working and not working. So a lot of the projects actually never made it from the what I call made it from the factory floor to the uh, or never made it to the factory floor from the innovation lab so it was a big problem getting things from the lab to the factory floor um, and the only way of, of like overcoming that is just a tighter knit community of people who share what's working and not working in conversational tech and so that worked out very nicely yeah so you know we were like I remember 10 years ago when we started to see basically if you wanted to get something you go onto a website and there'd be somebody that, that could talk to you in live chat. Yeah. And then that's never progressed that before that you go through a pre, a pre questionnaire. Yeah. And, the, and what answer it gave you tells you what to go. And it might actually force you to, to go to a certain web page to give the answer. Mm. Or you'll talk to somebody in, in real chat. But what it does, does is it makes sure you're talking to the right person. Well, see, that, that's a great example of where everyone's probably using conversational direction already. They just don't recognize it as such. Yeah. So what's new? It's web chat. It's like, hey, we've had web chat for ages, but like web chat that works this well yeah. is different. So saying something like getting on a web chat and going, hmm, what's the next train to Dublin? And you're on like the Irish Rail or something, yeah. and it goes, well, okay, hello. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Where are you? Yeah. Uh, what kind of train to Dublin? It's a bunch of questions, right? The trick is to get to that initial first response as seamlessly as possible. Like, hey, Paul, hey, I know who you are. Uh, you know, I'm in Limerick. Okay, you've got that piece of data. Uh, the next host is probably, let's do a lookup. What does he do? He gets the train from Limerick to Dublin. Okay, so it's 95% is probably, like, if a question is yeah. coming up, it's the, what is the next train to it's at like an hour's time, say. Mm. And it says, oh, Paul, how you doing? Um, are you looking for the next train time to Dublin? I'm going, I am. It's like 3.30, um, you know, 3.30, uh, would you like to book a, a, a C, 33C or 33A on, on that train? And I go, yes, great, that's booked for you now. I look forward to seeing you. You go, oh, great, off I go. Now just go and get a cab. Say, hey, get a cab as I normally get a cab. I'm off I go. And you're thinking to yourself, oh man, if it was that easy, wouldn't I just love it? Well, cookies, no, cookies, cookies can be changed. Now, so years when you got a cookie, you remember you were, but if, if you go on the web chats, the cookie will actually lock in, knows who you are from, you were here before, and knows basically, past 10 times that we hear you're booking train from Houston to, yeah. to somewhere else, like Glimmer or Galway. Yeah. He knows where you're going, so he says, Last time you booked a, you booked this train, are you going to book that train again? And the last time you booked a train at this time, does that time suit or will you mm-hmm. like an earlier or later time? Well, so just doing that well. Yeah. And you go, well, I mean, I book a lot of trains and a lot of cabs. And so what's happening in that world is you're seeing it now with Uber is we're seeing mobility as a service and so a conversational interface to all mobility platforms. So when I'm booking in, I might... I do still tend to absolutely honestly pick up the phone and ring the cab company because yeah. I want it there at nine in the morning and I want to be sure of it and all the rest of it. But you know, there's no reason why I wouldn't just go to like the, the Halo app or Uber. I don't use Uber too much, but go to the Halo app, book a cab. Yeah. Now, if I could just go, okay, I need to book. What's the first thing? First thing is book the train, make sure I get the train. Yeah. Okay, so I book the train and then I've done that. So train's at nine. So I probably want to get a cab for say half eight so I go at um, at Halo uh, can I get a cab for nine and it go for half eight sorry and it goes sure that's booked for you now and what else would I want to do uh, 
might want to book a cab on the other side. Hey, can I get a different cab for so 10, 15, like when I arrive in Dublin? So, okay. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm in the one conversation. I'm on the one journey. I have one plan. And I can review and change that as I'm in. So what if I miss the cab? What if I change my mind? How do I change my whole journey later or on? Or train gets delayed. Hmm? Or train, your train gets delayed. Yeah, or your train gets delayed or the cab gets a puncture or whatever. So what's happening is now as we, we, I mean, I am just, I am a terrible traveler. Like, I am just terrible. I'm bad at directions. I'm bad at remembering my details. I mean, I'm just the worst. But I'm pretty good at understanding why this stuff will be of assistance to you. So, like, if a cab, if, if you say, like, if a, an assistant knows that I'm booking a cab for, say, half eight, to could be at a train station at nine, but it goes, you know, this is actually heavy traffic time of year. That's not really a good, like, the, the, mm. that's not, it might say, hmm, um, you might think of booking that a little earlier because traffic is heavy at this time of year. Now, ooh, thank you, right, and I book it a little earlier. Or I'm arriving at an airport and it tells me um, your, tr- your, your flight is still terminal two, gate 10, and everything's on time. And the ETA from here to the gate is 30 minutes. It's going to take us 30 minutes to walk from here, get through security, and get to that gate. And I go, oh, okay. So I've got plenty of time. And that might sound a little crazy to you. Like, mm, that's a little far-fetched. But that's exactly what um, Heathrow Airport wants to do. They want to make it so that you get these alerts integrated into your journey and you know how long it's going to take you, you know what gate you're supposed to be at, and it's because they want to make it a, a great experience to be at the airport. And yes, you're a big in the long term. If you're getting many experiences and you're on a train, it was always, your cookies always on. So if you know the train's going to be delayed, the cookie might then decide to alert your, your cab company. Yeah, absolutely. And tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The cab, once the cab has been delayed, yeah. the train's been delayed, and it, it will, will update you uh, ETAs of when we think he's going to arrive. Right, exactly. So the, this is the idea of dynamic journeys yeah. and dynamic planning. And so we're seeing a lot of um, travel tech companies get involved in this space. And you've got people in Dublin like Open Job Technologies yeah. doing this in, in, in China right now. Um, uh, you've got people like Box Ever in Dublin doing it with their Lingus probably. So we have, we have companies working on this here right now. I mean, car trawler are, are right in the middle of this kind of space too. Yeah. So the, the whole travel tech hub, like this, is a part of, this will be a part of their challenge going yeah. forward. Um, we, w- one of the things as well about um, you know, tipping point, like one of the things about tipping points about this stuff is um, people think, oh, it's... It's like when you look at it, we don't use Alexa a lot, like not a lot, but what we do use it for is Spotify yeah. and radio. Um, so for people in the industry, they know that radio has moved. Mm-hmm. Radio has moved to the sp- smart speakers. And now you'll say, play BBC Radio 4 or play this particular program and that's shifted past the 50% mark now so this grand tip has happened as to how people access their music and play their music and access and play their radio and I think we're going to see other industries well I think about 10 years ago like 11 years ago when Apple introduced the, the first iPhone and all the technology because the iPhone cost so much everyone thought well only high end phones will have the technology so we're not going to work that nowadays every, every phone for like an average 60 year smartphone and page ago will have technology that was an iPhone 11, 12 years ago. So when you've got that scenario, it's going to be more commonplace than you think. Well, people said at the time as well, if you remember, um, that the iPhone was a nice toy, but people would never give up their keyboards. Yeah. That was the main thing. And the other thing was no one's going to trust this phone because business uses Blackberry. Yeah. And that was a fatal error. Um, it was it's probably one of the, the biggest value creators for a company because Apple owned it, but it was also a huge value destructor in that Nokia lost its company um, mm-hmm. through that shift. 
and that shift was the touch screen I mean that's it was touch screen and apps that's yeah. what drove it it was a different a whole different paradigm and people say you know there's a whole bunch of reasons why but one of the reasons I particularly like that the rationale behind was that the um, the upgrade cycle was um, I think 18 months yeah so when you convert it to an iPhone and then you you were up with your Nokia for the next phone 18 months you convert it to an Apple and then someone else converted to an Apple and if you didn't if Apple sorry if Google or Nokia didn't get a model that was comparative to it within two or three cycles which was only like three to five years it was kind of over they were never going to get back in the game and that was a technology cliff driven by the replacement cycle so I think that we're you know when you when you think of the kind of things that are um, everyone has a mobile phone well if your intelligent assistant is sitting on your mobile phone yeah. and it has like billion person distribution instantly you should look at that as well what, what could that disrupt what could change from that I think the TV is going to be a little bit longer because I mean I have my TV for I don't know, is it 10 years now or something? I don't see the need to upgrade it to anything crazy, maybe yeah. fuel efficiency or, or electricity. But I'm not looking at it going, I want to do teleconferencing through my TV or anything. Um, so that cycle will be a bit longer. Yeah. And desktop phones and stuff like that, their, their replacement cycles are, are fairly long. But you can swap in and out of your... Your, your, your Zoom versus yeah. your WebEx versus your Microsoft Teams, you can swap those in and out, no problem from here. From it's like when I first came out, Steve Jobs was saying that the biggest change is going to be using your finger. Mm. And then now it's changed to so using your voice. And then in feature, it could be like you sit further with your eyes, you can just look at, look at it. And notice about, about how your eye interacts, you can then say what you want to do next. Well, so. So that, that brings us kind of back to the idea of um, the kind of, well, what is conversational technology? Where does it start and where does it end? And it's kind of a fluid boundary for me. I mean, I was in a conversation with someone in the VR space last week, and they were talking about the voice, the clarity of voice in a VR yeah. environment and what you could do through the voice instruction in the VR environment. Was, you know, that's kind of like... That's kind of like conversational tech and that you're speaking to an environment and getting it to do things and your voice is coming out through your avatar in that environment. Mm-hmm. It's all very interesting. But it was like it was interesting that you could have any kind of an avatar but yet your voice was something yours. It was how I recognize you. Yeah. And I think that was an interesting um, response from the... the the uh, Google Duplex thing yeah. that was launched, where it can simulate a human voice and dial and get you a an appointment or book yeah. a, a hair appointment or something, which was the demo. And that that was very interesting because it was programmatically doing things that are called disfluencies, which are pauses and kind of slight stammers and hesitations in a voice that we have naturally as people but they're, they're kind of affectations of our character and personality and if the, the, the software kind of recognises oh Paul hesitates slightly here and he kind of raises his voice kind of a bit there and he drags that vowel sound out a little bit more and then it can mimic me in some way that's kind of an interesting thing because it's saying well if a machine speaks like you how do you feel about that? you don't actually feel great about it because you are you your sense of identity and who you are is kind of embedded in that that idea that you are who you are the person speaking yeah. and so I think that the kind of backlash to, to that um, that Google duplex wasn't just the fact that it was so smart sounding that it sounded I think people went oh, hold a second like, where does this stop like wh- when does it like wh- when I've got to, as a person, understand that I'm speaking to another person. And if I feel that I'm in danger of speaking to a a robot and not know it, I feel very foolish. Mm -hmm. And I think that's tied in this year with the theme of deep fakes and deep fake video and people going, hmm, that could be problematic um, if you don't know 
and that 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 isn't about you know Obama saying these things about yeah. Trump that that's just made up. Um, then that could be deeply uh, disturbing. Um, but what if it was you? What if if someone got your data and was able to create a persona and have you say stuff on YouTube that was offensive or, or, yeah. or vile? You you'd feel oh that wasn't me. But damage is done, right? People yeah. think it was you. So I I think uh, you know there's still some questions to be ironed out around how yeah. this stuff works. Right well, last week, but two weeks ago, I got uh, hacked. Well, with Facebook. Somebody cloned my account. Oh wow! And my uh, friends and the thing is, when I'm on Facebook, Facebook, what it, to me what it does is every time you post something, it it's determining your personality and then it targets ads or things towards you. Mm. So I'm always posting jokes on there, and no knows, and the jokes can be very clean and very dirty. So therefore, I can't tell what kind of person I am. Someone said we knew it wasn't you because asked the messenger to to be a friend. We knew it wasn't you because I had none of your corny crap jokes. Right. So in other words, and and that's the and that's the uh, voice thing can determine that every two minutes you're going to tell somebody a crap joke. So no, it's not you. Well, th- there's, um, like, uh, like, you know, everything is a personality, and everything is a, a, a data point, and so like, even I like this one where like even if you download a Tor browser for anonymous browsing, yeah. the fact that you are the kind of person to download a Tor browser tells someone that you might be someone worth watching. Yeah. Right? The fact that you don't carry your phone with you but went away and left your phone at home says to somebody, why is he leaving his phone at home? Is he worried that he's been tracked? Yeah. If he is, then that's someone we should track. Yeah. Right? So every data point now has like has information potential yeah. from it, even the fact that you've not done something. Um, so I, I think that um, for, for us, what we wanted to do here was um, kind of get a bunch of people in Dublin in the academic areas, like we have the ADAPT Centre and, and Trinity and UCD, um, into a room with people with, who are like big vendors and have like a lot of technology and get a lot of creative people in the room and just make people aware that other people are here, yeah. get them into face-to-face conversations, and try and stimulate some relationships. Uh, what we found last year was a lot of companies didn't know that, they had that we had that many postgrads in Ireland working in like conversational technologies and yeah. related stuff. So we had a bunch of them, um, a bunch of the, the postgrads come to it. And then the postgrads were kind of going, oh, there's a bunch of companies actually using our stuff or, or stuff that we're like working in day in, day out. There's actually, you know, an, an outcome to, to what we do. There's a connection. And that was very motivating for them. So, you know, one, one the companies could end up hiring those postgrads. Those postgrads could be getting ideas to start their own companies. You don't really know how yeah. that's going to work out. But I'm hoping that people... Um, meet other people there who can share the challenges that they've they've gone through and say look don't don't waste six months of your time doing that i've done that already here's go this direction or check this technology against that or, yeah. and uh and that, that that's a part of what we're doing this year is um we're going to bring um uh, some open source uh, technologies to this so we're going to have the people from Raza they do open source the major open source conversations player in, in the world and they're going to run workshops on how to build your own conversational AI using yeah. open source software um, we're very much um, hoping to run a session with Google and um, hopefully uh, Accenture and TSSG down in in Waterford to help design conversations around an old person's home yeah. um, where how would you help people like how can you actually use technology for good how, like, how it's not just about selling one more like one more Apple one more cab ride yeah. it's how can you actually can people's lives be made better and like I'm, I'm older now but my dad is 85 um, he's not able to see the phone anymore yeah so he's just being able to voice activate a phone, mm-hmm. being able to have a phone tell you who's calling, being able to tell Alexa to play BBC radio or opera or whatever. 
is enormously freeing for him. And when I speak to people who have parents of that 80 and above age, they go, it's just been like a real life changer for them. Yeah. And it's, it's often for people whose highest technology in their house is SMS. Like they're used to getting SMS because of their grandchildren. Or yeah. that's, that's where they first got into that. But they've jumped straight into voice because it just you just learn how to do it with talking and they get the hang of it pretty and quickly. And you hear a voice, you're more, you're more reassured than it's even text. Well, that's a great point. The, one of the examples I was in, 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 in trance by last year was from Amazon, where they were talking about another experiment they'd run in another assisted living community, um, where when this person was leaving their home, and they said like, Alexa, lock up. And all the windows would be locked, all the doors would be locked, and they could close the front door and it would be locked. And it's like a sense of relief. Yeah. They haven't forgotten anything. I didn't forget. They were turned off. Right. It's just the sense that they can leave their house peacefully um, was like, that's... Like that's beyond just technology. Again, that's back into the experiences side of things, and you know we we all kind of think about these things like oh you know <laughs> well in, in Ireland obviously the dreaded immersion being left on yeah or um, you're going home and you want to just look I'll be home in in a half an hour you know turn on the heating or put the heating onto a specific level on the ground floor but not on the upper floor. Those instructions are, are kind of examples that are used, yeah. but you know, I, I think that they would be kind of routinized. It's like, you know, that's what I do all the time, and then you get those routines down, and then you don't, you know, you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. These are embedded routines. I, I think it's much more likely to be kind of embedded routines based and then, uh, 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 than status-based after that. It's like, you know, are all the windows closed? Yes, okay, great. Like it's not close all the windows and then they automatically close. Yeah. I, it, it's, I think statuses of things are are are, are really important. Um, the is there anything else I would say about all that? I, I'd say that there's kind of three areas of the conversational tech that that I kind of look at, which is, I kind of think about the the main center of it is is in our market is conversational tech in the contact center and customer service business. And that's, I think something like, is it, what's the number? Um, 25% of customer service organizations will have conversational tech in place by the end of 2018 or something like that. Yeah, well that's pretty impressive because I think as the technology comes cheaper, people can afford it more. It, it's not the cost of the technology. It's not really the cost of it. It's, it's the, it's getting it in. But, but for cost, I don't mean money, I also mean the fact that the cost of you install something, you don't spend hours trying to install something on your own mm-hmm. server and then make sure it works, because it's more now cloud-based. It's easy to set it up that they're running and, and train staff for them to worry about data being lost. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's, that, that's kind of like, standard operating procedure yeah. these days that it's cloud-based um, th- there there is a, a, a challenge with getting it to work mm-hmm. and making sure it continues to work like it isn't magic you've got to like look at how it's working and how the conversations are turning over and you know what words are being picked up or not being picked up and just it's like anything you know you, you got, you've got to pay attention to it or it's not going to get any better um, and it's not magic. You've you've got to pay attention to it. So there is some of that, um, but it is the mainstay of when you see, like oh, like we're very committed to AI moving forward. It, the the actual center of the kind of AI implementations that these kind of companies are implementing is in customer service. That's where they're spending their time. It's something like forty six percent of yeah. the value of all the AI being put into companies is in this kind of an area. So it's a large chunk, but that's going to go down a little bit over the next couple yeah. of years as AI kind of picks up in the rest of the business. Um, I would say um, 
to give you some sort of an, an assessment of the volume of interactions um, between people on Facebook Messenger and companies. So you might go, ah, that's something that will probably happen. It's at 20 billion messages a month today between companies and customers on Facebook Messenger and growing. And that's a phenomenal number. And when I started tracking that number first, it was heading to a billion. Mm -hmm. And then it went to like 2 billion. And then it went to, I think, 4 billion. So it's at 20 billion now. Yeah, see, if you go to uh, a lot of your websites, a map thing, when you log in, you look at it, it's got Messenger clicking in. Or if you're going basically uh, to, you want to do, check out a restaurant, you check in a review, and you go to the Facebook page, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matthew tells you, you know, I can book a table. Yeah. Already, Matthew coming up and telling yeah. you, which in my view, it's five years ago you wouldn't get to the game no more now, which means, you, oh wow, this is interesting, they're actually telling you this one and they let me book, book a time. Well, if, if you can, so, so, so the, the, the really, some of the interesting things happening there is, it's kind of like, yeah, you should be able to do this thing online, right? You should be able to kind of go, um, do you have a table for eight o'clock tonight? Yeah. And they go, yes, we do. How many people do you want? because that's constraint for great any special requirements like vegan celiac anything no okay Uh, table for four booked eight o'clock would you like to a menu sent to your phone yeah okay so pushes a menu to you and you might go oh you know you're browsing away on your way to the restaurant that evening you're flicking back in your conversation and you're going actually that's nice so by the time you get there you kind of know what you want yeah um but what if you walked in the door of the restaurant and it goes ping, like the Midra D gets a message on their messenger mm-hmm. saying, Paul Sweeney's just entered the restaurant. He's booked a table for four and there's a celiac as part of the group. And you go, oh, walk over, Mr. Sweeney, welcome to the restaurant. Your table is ready. We have a special celiac menu ready for you. Have you had a chance to look at it yourself? And your welcoming experience, or your you know your, yeah. your is is uh, very comforting. Um, so that link between digital online and digital offline is, I think, the new kind of challenge. And w- one of the things around the, the the voice search. So when you're doing a voice search, you might say, um, you know, holding that pizza um, to your face again. One of the big questions is what's around here like what restaurants are around here what barber shops around here where can i get a pair of jeans around here and and so all the voice based search on your device is very heavily um what's around here it's local yeah. search so that's going to be very interesting how that's handled and I, i'm thinking as well that in blanca maybe if you know where your voice knows you know you're very hungry yeah you then said, okay, if you're hungry, he wants fast food, he wants food now, not, not half an hour's time. Yeah. So say it's nearest McDonald's, nearest supermarket, is over here. Well, those personalised, um, that's where it starts to get interesting from the assistant's point of view. Like, if it, like, if you say, what food is around here, and he goes, oh, yeah, Paul likes his burger, it might go, hmm, uh, there's a Bunsen burger just around the corner from you, and I've got a five euro voucher, if you'd like to give it a try. I go, oh, absolutely, love Bunsen, haven't been to their new place yet, I'll, I'll, I'll log in there. And then a little um, voucher, a little Q code is pushed to my phone, yeah. and I say, oh, just show that as I'm ordering, and it's like, oh, five pound voucher, off, off you go. And they've paid Google to make that recommendation to me, to get me yeah. to their new store, to create a new pattern, right? So that same kind of intermediary logic is, is where search was. That's now the intermediary logic of the assistant. And I guess a long term years ago to do that, you have that and paper. Now they're putting that in Google because they guarantee the right demographics are hidden. Because if you put that in paper, you can't guarantee it. everyone who's going to read it is going to be the person you want in your show. Whereas what they do now, as you mentioned, but the, the five year voucher, they're guaranteeing that everyone who hears or sees his eyes, only people who got you probably use it yeah yeah you, you, you know it's it's nothing is quite as predictive as conversations yeah like what are you what you're saying you're wanting how you're saying it um like the basics of i want to get some food now is fairly easy to understand 
But if you said, I'm going to get some food now, it's like, that's like uh, now. Like that's mm-hmm. fast and immediate. And like in the next hundred yards, you better be close. To, don't bother giving anything more than two minutes walk away. Yeah, right? also, I suppose it doesn't really, it's not, it's not going to really ask you what kind of food you like. You know, it's basically you want fast food. Yeah, but, but it, 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 you know, that, that again is that first response that it gets you is like, you know, that search where you'd search for, um, I'd like a pair of blue jeans and you give a size, let's say 36, 36, that's your size yeah. jeans you want to go. A search knows that it's better off presenting, if there are no blue jeans, 36, 36, it's better off giving you a pair of black jeans, 36, 36, rather than a pair of blue jeans, 34, 34, because yeah. it doesn't fit you. Um, so the best next recommendation in a, in a search, so I'm looking for something, it's not there, what are you recommending? Getting that recommendation right is critical in e-business because there's a like 86% fall away for second choice. Yeah. Like I might take this other choice. So you try and get the best recommendation you can. Use all your AR, use all your, your, your effort to make sure that you can get a really good um, alternative in there to that search if you can fulfill it. Um, but in, in assistance, there's something called position zero. So if I ask for, hey, um, Alexa, I want uh, 12 batteries, AA batteries, it's going to say to you, great, uh, 12 AA batteries, Amazon Basics are on their way to you. And you go, oh, great. Yeah, great. Because you didn't ask for Duracell. You didn't ask for any other brand. You asked for batteries. And the first response, the first, that position zero, the first response it gives you, it could say, mm, you know what, I'm going to go to Duracell and sell them this position and go, this person's looking for batteries. If you would like it to be Duracell batteries, that, you know, give, give us the euro. Yeah. And, hey, uh, 12 Duracell batteries are on their way to you, if that's okay. Yep, that's fine. And you're done. And they've made a sale at position zero. There's no other alternatives. There's no search. There's no other kind of evaluations. It's like, what's the first option that you were given? And so the the number on that is uh, that customers uptake 85% of the recommendations in that position. So 85% of the time, they'll accept that position zero recommendation. That's pretty compelling so I think that the danger is that people don't really think through what happens um, when you're a brand and you're booking like I book a cab did I name my cab company do I do I automatically go to free now or halo or uber or whatever what's that how does that process work how does how does my branding strategy work in that environment and, and what do I have to do do I need to like bypass these guys and not just train my customers? But don't use that. Uh, just speak to the app. Mm-hmm. So you've got the app. Um, just press the button, the little speak button, and go, hey, I'd like to order a cab. And it'll the assistant behind the app will take care of it for you. Maybe that's the way to go for you. And also they can to will tell you if you want an executive cab or a normal cab. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All, all that will, will, will be kind of taken care of. Um, but I think that the, um, for us, the way we like to think about it at ConverCon is, you know, you want to share lessons and practical things yeah. of how these stuff is built. But I think you also need to have your head stretched and say, look, if this stuff works, what changes? Um, I, I consider it like the light bulb moment in, um, Remember those, you download a flashlight to your, yeah. your iPhone and you hold it up in the air, you can look for your keys. Well, that flashlight app was just as um, basic as, as what we have today in conversational. But that flashlight app goes from there to Uber. Like you could not have Uber without those mobile apps. Yeah. So what's gonna be the new business model, the new thing that happens? on the back of this conversational technology. And that's just not going to be easily predictable. Like, it's going to change, but something big is going to happen at the other side of it. Yeah, and if I cover where is it taking place and when? Um, it's 
October 17th at the Lighthouse Cinema in Smithfield in Dublin. Yeah. It's, again, uh, tickets are on sale um, yeah. at the website convercon.ie. Um, we will facilitate anyone, you know, who's got, like, um, uh, there might be a student, you might be coming from afar, you might have a bunch of people come from your company. Just reach out to us. We'll, we'll figure something out if, 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 uh, if you want to come. It is limited to X amount of people in the room, yeah. so I'm, I'm actively like recruiting great people for the room because an outcome for me is great conversations. Um, it's, it's been uh, the, the feedback we have the last couple of years was it's just a great intimate venue vent, um, and, and you get to meet a bunch of people that you may not have before. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, when I go to conferences, there are thousands of people. I don't meet anybody. Like you're just wandering around looking at stands and standing in the back of some presentation, but you don't actually get to meet anybody. I, I, I want people to meet people like a digital consultant or a, a designer or someone who specializes in voice design and they're crazy mad about it. And you sit talking to them for 15, 20 minutes and you go, God, geez, I learned a ton of stuff there. And I'm going to go away and read a ton more. I guess basically you want to come when they when they come to the event when they walk away and make new contacts that are going to suit them. And like I've been to events before where you meet people, have to be, you meet top cards, but there's somebody you're not going to see again because there's not really anyone that's interested to you at all. Yeah, uh, and so that's why like it's a tight event. It's conversational technologies and AI. Um, it's it's tight on that um, on that uh, on that topic. We've had some, like, we do have world-class speakers coming, so keep your eye on the site for that. But we have, like, senior people coming from, uh, like, America, from, from Europe, from the UK, um, yeah. to deliver both, both workshops and, and talks for us. Is there anything else on the podcast, or is that, is that enough? Um, no, I'd just like to say about just the podcast in general, and, and Dublin in general, that the, the amount of help that we've received from other companies from uh, the technology scene, from other events. It's just been phenomenal and um, totally gratifying. Um, and that's what's going to make like Dublin and Ireland a very successful hub for, for startups. Yeah. Okay, thanks. thanks very much for that, Paul. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks.